Paul and his traveling partner Silas left Antioch on a quest to visit all the churches Paul and Barnabas had earlier established in the Roman province of Asia. In Lystra, they picked up the one who would become Paul's number one apprentice, Timothy. After visiting just a few more cities, the Holy Spirit began to limit Paul's eastern advance. Again and again, apparently without any explanation, Paul's plans were superseded by those of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps in frustration, Paul turns and heads west. Way west. All the way to Westport. I mean Troas. (laughs) Well, Troas was like Westport in that if you went any further west, you were going to get your feet wet. uh, Unless you had a boat, which they soon will. Anyway, Luke was there. And the Holy Spirit gives Paul a dream telling him to spread the gospel in Europe. Ancient Macedonia was at the easternmost edge of what we now call Europe. Well, of course, modern Macedonia is still. But anyway, the Holy Spirit made it clear that Paul and Silas and Timothy and now Luke were to go there and spread the good news. And that's where we'll pick up in Luke's account. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. You ever noticed that when God puts you through the ringer, (laughs) he often makes life easy for a while. (laughs) For Paul and Silas, the voyage from Troas to Philippi's seaport, Neapolis, takes only two days. Normally this voyage would take much longer. Uh, Later in Luke's narrative, we hear the reverse trip takes five days. Uh, I think it's not uncommon to even have the winds in our favor when we are doing God's work, especially after he has let us struggle. At least he did this for Paul and his companions. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, this is an interesting occurrence. Paul, as you remember always went first to the synagogue in every city before he preached to the Gentiles. Biblically trained Old Testament believers would become great teachers for Jesus Christ once they understood. But here, in spite of the reasonable size of Philippi, there is no synagogue. According to an ancient Jewish document, ten Jewish men in good standing were required in any town to form a synagogue. Apparently, this prosperous Roman colony did not even have ten Jewish men willing to meet together to worship God. By the way, it will probably not surprise you to find that many more women than men attended religious services at the time. (laughs) Some things don't change. But why out of town? Why by the river? Well, as we occasionally discussed before baptisms, ritual cleansing with water was a big deal in the Jewish community at that time, and for many others, for that matter. So meeting at the river, when you had no building for such things, made this easy. And out of town? Well, you'll quickly learn in this story that this town was not vaguely interested in things religious, (laughs) let alone the true creator God. 
probably these good women simply wanted to get away from the crass hedonism in town as well as the animosity in order to focus on the worship of God. Since Paul and company knew where to look for them, this is believed to have been a common practice. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Lord opened her heart. What an unlikely woman to have her heart open to the truth of Jesus. Think about it. A seller of purple. Well, that's all it says. <laughs> but that's all it needs to say. She is someone who sells expensive clothing to rich people. Hermes, Prada, Gucci, Dior, Dolce & Gabbana, Ralph Lauren, Versace, Giorgio Armani. Okay, I had to look it up. I didn't know. She sold clothing that reeks rich and usually corrupt. That's who she was. But somehow, Lydia got it. While strolling her high-fashion world, she discovered God and began to worship him. Technically, she's called a God-fearer, just like Cornelius that we talked about some months ago. And like him, she turns to God, and God brings an apostle into her life. And she hears the truth of Jesus Christ. I have to make a confession here. I have harbored a pretty strong disdain for those who are obsessed with flashy clothes, high fashion. Well, yeah, I mean, you can tell. Uh, <laughs> it's probably mostly because I have absolutely no native understanding of fashion. Uh, to be clear, I used to wear high water pants. I wore plaids with solids. And I mixing orange and purple, that was a real possibility for me. Uh, and my glasses were taped at the hinge. <laughs> Okay. This fashion was not exactly on my radar. I don't know how Becky saw through that and got me going, but poor Becky, you know. But, uh, you know, I didn't care. My point is, how's your thinking? That's what I want to know. That's what's important. A beautiful mind. Remember that movie? I just had to hear the title. It brought tears to my eyes. A beautiful mind. Yes! It's much more important than a well-attired body. So, of course, I had to think negatively of those who stress appearance over substance. Intellectual lightweights. <laughs> I can't seem to help myself, sorry. And God is going to draw one of them and wait. Not just one of them, one who, them who, one who makes money off of the cerebrally challenged. Well, first of all, are my judgments correct? <laughs> Could I maybe be wrong? Second, shouldn't we let God decide whose heart he will open? This woman made an effort to meet with others seeking God, to associate with them, and then to place her faith in the Father and his gift of Jesus Christ. And to demonstrate that to the world. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia followed up her faith with function. 
this successful businesswoman put her money where her mouth is. <laughs> the Philippian church supported Paul throughout his life. If you read his letter to them, you cannot miss the mutual warm affection that they shared. It doesn't take much imagination to see Lydia as a strong influence and probably contributor in the church's efforts to help Paul. This was a good woman, even if she's wearing Gucci. <laughs> and maybe we should expect good people where we really never did before. If we sometimes find good people where we never did before, the troubled tribe <laughs> makes an appearance even more regularly. <laughs> Luke says that later, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. The idea here is guilt by association. This woman is nuts. Okay? <laughs> a Jew might have understood Most High God to be Yahweh. The Greeks would not. And there were almost no Jews to explain it to them. Salvation to a Jew would mean spiritual holiness, allowing us to be close to the one true God. Not so with these Macedonians. Simply stated, this demon-possessed girl was damaging the spread of the good news. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Note an important point. There's no faith here. If simply casting out the demon would have caused her to be saved, Paul would have never waited many days. This girl does not become a believer. I don't know if she eventually became a believer. I'd certainly like to think so. And although no believer can be possessed by a demon, not being possessed by a demon doesn't mean a person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Just because a person gives up gothic attire and damaging their bodies in various ways doesn't mean their hearts are committed to Jesus. Appearances, once again, can be deceptive. But that's only one type of troubled person. There's another much more common form, the flat-out bad ones. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Follow the money. <laughs> it's fascinating that the only two times that Luke records resistance to the good news by Gentiles without the influence of Jews... It's because somebody's pocketbook is affected. Money buys temporary power and pleasure, the two things most desired by self-absorbed sinners. And these two Jews had taken away their hope of gain. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Wait, what? That's not what this is all about. You've noticed this, haven't you? Where's the concern for the young girl? 
Shouldn't they rejoice that she is no longer at the mercy of this demon? Yeah, they should, but they don't. Their concern is completely focused on themselves. Their hope of gain was gone. And very pragmatically, they lie. <laughs> they hope to get back what they've lost. And remember, these are polytheists. They think that there are lots of gods of varying power levels and always fighting amongst themselves. You know, at least they're true to their belief. They figured that once Paul and Silas are driven out of town, the god they used to get rid of the demon would go with them and their god, the demon, would be able to return and possess the girl once again. Kindness is certainly foreign to them, isn't it? <laughs> And not knowing about the true God who is eternally present in every location, they lie. They incite racism against Jews. They promote patriotic fever. And they appeal to their law. Wow, it sounds just like some greedy people in America, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, none of their statement had anything to do with the real issue, but it worked as they had hoped. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Wow, did it work. I don't personally know a single person who has been physically abused for doing the work of God. I know of people who have been beaten, tortured, and even killed, but I've never met any of them. Makes me wonder, how willing are we to stand for the gospel? Especially when the gospel is ignored while unrelated drivel is presented as the case. Well, Paul and Silas were willing, and it put them into the most horrible of circumstances, and yet, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I'm sorry, I, I can't read that without stopping. What a pair! And don't miss that last part. The prisoners were listening. Okay, your mental exercise for today. Imagine yourself being a prisoner in a Roman jail. Dirty Dirty beyond description. A stench to make you choke. Dark, dismal, rats running around and over you. In that situation, what would you expect to hear in the middle of the night? The screams of tortured men piercing the darkness, moaning and crying. Whatever you might expect, it would certainly not be other prisoners praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, when we are in really desperate circumstances and we pray and sing to God, our message carries a lot more weight, especially with others who are in dire circumstances. I think it carries more weight with God, as it were, as well. And maybe, maybe with someone whose appearance would not have led us to expect any such thing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly 
There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You may have heard that Roman law would see this man executed if his prisoners escaped. This is a Roman colony, remember? And no one knew the exquisite perfection of Roman torture which would precede death better than this man. Combine that with their belief that suicide was considered an honorable way to lead this life and you can understand our man's actions. But change your point of view to the inside of this house of horrors. The prisoners in the dark looking out towards the now open door with the light behind it saw the man in silhouette and what he was about to do. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. If anyone had not yet realized the vast difference in the spirit which animated Paul compared to that which moved his opponents, certainly they must have recognized it now. Paul cries out to protect the one who had brought him to the darkest hole in that prison and put him in stocks. Could I do it? I don't know. Could you? Maybe so. Because God can help us to love even our enemies. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. History. There are records of constant minor earthquakes in this part of the world. But think of it from the jailer's perspective. He knows Paul was thrown in here because he called on a name more powerful than that of the spirit of the infested young girl. He was listening to them singing and praising God, which certainly included references to God's creative and ruling and saving power. And now their singing is interrupted as the earth is convulsed enough to bust open the locked doors and break whatever devices held their chains. And, maybe even more amazing, the prisoners don't make a run for it. <laughs> I mean, earthquakes are unpredictable, but people, this guy knew people. Well, he thought he did. By what must I do to be saved? He didn't mean physically to save his life. The prisoners were still there. He, From that standpoint, he was already saved. Now, I think it's what he heard. Paul and Silas, whom he had locked in stocks, had been singing and praying, thanking God for their salvation. Nobody had ever behaved like that in his jail before. This jailer knew that their salvation was greater than any he had ever imagined. And Paul was able to give him the simple gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And it doesn't stop there. God enabled Paul to also give the man a promise. You and your household. How about your household? Maybe you'd like to hear something like that. Would you be willing to be thrown into such a circumstance if that's what it took? In his excitement, Luke now jumps ahead in the story and then comes back and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
If we were surprised to see our fashion diva Lydia dedicate her life to Christ, would we ever, ever have looked for a good man in a Roman prison, a guard in a Roman jail? Luke jumps forward again. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. He's not just being courteous. He is being courteous, but not just that. Or even just expressing his gratitude with his possessions. He's putting his life in their hands. Remember, if they are not in the jail when they're asked for, he loses his life. But, of course, he'd figured out that anyone who could sing out praises to God with his feet in stocks in the Roman prison and who would stay there when he could have escaped is someone who can be trusted. So at the appropriate time... They all made their way back to jail to see what God would do. You know, when it comes to figuring out people, bad times sure do seem to teach us more than good times, don't they? (laughs) Okay, the bad. Rehashed. Paul and Silas are out of prison, guests of the very man tasked with holding them there, and the Philippian rulers who ordered them placed there Oblivious to all that has happened, they slept the night away. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Our jailer must have been amazed. Had he ever had a prisoner beaten thoroughly, whom he was ordered to keep in the most secure cell of the jail, who had been set free. And can you imagine how excited he was to tell Paul and Silas the good news? But now he gets a shock that probably goes all the way down to his toes. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. Do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Roman citizens? The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They'd better be afraid. They're not just in danger of losing their positions, their citizenship, their wealth and their freedom. They could be beaten, potentially even executed. And the town could lose its status as a Roman colony. That means they could lose many tax benefits. The very money they sought to protect could be taken away. And don't you love the irony? By the very men they punished so that they could keep it. They never imagined that a couple of Jews would have the same status with Rome that they did. Isn't it amazing how often people who are consumed by status damage their own (laughs) So here they are with some serious backtracking to do. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They apologized and asked them to leave the city. (laughs) No more trying to order them around. And why did they want them to leave? Not just to save face. Remember, if it became known that they beat Roman citizens in public, their very lives would be in danger. 
And if these men hung around, people would talk about it. Somebody important is eventually going to hear it. But all this brings us to another question. A thought from the other direction. Paul and Silas surely knew that their citizenship exempted them from beatings. Why didn't they bring it up earlier? Maybe they tried. Maybe it wouldn't have done any good. It was a virtual riot. But for sure, God uses it now. Paul and Silas didn't leave town directly, you see. They visited Lydia and saw the brothers, which surely included the jailer. They pointedly saw them. Trust me, those magistrates watched every move. Remember, these officials are scared. Visiting Lydia and the brothers lent a protection to them, Lydia and the church as a whole. We need to be wise to the political processes around us, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves, to quote Jesus, and get involved. We live in a real world, a fallen world, and we need to remember that God uses the processes of this world, like earthquakes, and the people of this world, like magistrates, to accomplish his work. Some of them are bad people. They don't intend to do God's will, but they do. Sometimes God even uses their own system to force them into subjection. Some of the people of this world are troubled. Perhaps we can set them free from their circumstances, but we must not make the mistake of equating that with spiritual freedom. They still need Christ. Without him, they are still lost. Their heart is not changed, eternally lost. Some of the people God brings into our lives are good people. God-fearers. Those wanting to worship God. Even if they are dressed in the finest clothes money can buy. (laughs) Muscular, powerful men who are willing to fall at our feet and beg to know what we know of the hope that comes only from Christ. The living hope. Maybe only after we've suffered, perhaps even at their hands. Are we willing to suffer so that our enemies can find hope in Christ? Are we willing to look past social and economic differences to teach others of Christ? Poor or rich, high or low. An unnamed jailer. Lydia, a seller of purple. How wonderfully unexpected, but only to us. (laughs) God's plan includes the good and the bad and the trouble. And we were in that group someplace. Maybe maybe more than one of those groups. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, these little vignettes, the little stories of the life of Paul trying to teach the gospel to people, some of whom didn't want to hear it. Some of whom didn't think they would hear it. Some who never, nobody ever would have believed would turn to Christ. A Roman jailer? Oh my gracious. But you know what you're doing. You draw people to you that come from every part of life. People that we would never think would be yours are already yours. They just don't know it. Maybe we don't know it. 
So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be awake and aware and be willing to share. Even with people who are trapped in a prison, sing them some songs. Pray publicly for them. Show you. Show your son to the world. That's what we pray, Father. Thank you so much that we have this opportunity. Thank you for giving us these examples. Help us as we try to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message, first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. If you'd like to support us so we can do more, well, you'll have to work at it. We have no one-click button for giving on our webpage, southbeachhope.org. We are a tiny church in a small town and simply cannot afford either money or time to set up such a thing. But at least with our modern technology and with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and anyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.